Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. 10.11 on Future Sense here with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald through till 11 o'clock. Thanks for your range of texts after we called for if there's anyone out there. We've got a whole bunch of texts saying, hey guys, we're ever listening, we're always here. And someone has also written in, thanks to Sandy, yes, we're here pondering my life after spilling around up and down my back. What? Ooh, not sure if that's the right. My son was born, okay, my son was born with many problems, but as a young mum, I had to choose keeping my son alive or fighting Monsanto. Interesting. I chose my son for his six and a half years of life. Your story reminds me how it changed our extended family's life. So shocked by your last statistics. The beautiful Brown community helped me keep him alive past all expectations. Love your show. Thanks so much. Not sure exactly what you're saying. There was clearly a, a, a big tough time there with the, yeah. where you're battling with Monsanto or how that worked. But anyway, thanks for sharing. Really good. Yeah. Oh, So. Mm. Intuition. You know telepathy. what I'm going to say, don't you? I do. Yes. I know you're going to start talking about ESP and the like. Yes. Mm. Uh, it's Amazing quite how I topical at the moment. And uh, so let's let's talk about the process of, of human development, human evolution from a from a species perspective, and how our sensory awareness expands as we grow through these layers of consciousness. And I'll just lead us into that by talking from layer four, which is the going back to the sort of agricultural era way of being. If you think back to the Middle Ages when the world was ruled by kings and queens and and their empires and there were crusades uh, against the opposition and all that kind of stuff Mm. and with that the emergence of that consciousness and and i guess that probably happened thousands and thousands of years ago when we came out of a sort of egocentric martial phase where the world was a very wild place and very violent uh, and somewhat less organized uh, then uh, during the layer four period where things became structured. So the, so layer four, that agricultural authoritarian era was a, a feminine, communally oriented era where we were looking to uh, build community, whereas the previous Marshall Third was very individual, wild, exploratory, uh, let's conquer territory in a wild way kind of a, an experience. And in layer four, we had, uh, and I, I must say also that these layers have a correspondence with the chakras. And so with the emergence of the fourth layer, we had a, a level of heart opening, which allowed us to connect heart to heart with a second person in the presence of the other. So uh, me being the first person, you being the second person, and in your presence, mm. then at that uh, particular level of development, at level of or layer of consciousness, we had we had developed the capacity to open our hearts to each other when we're in each other's presence, but just you and me, yeah. first and second person. Mm. And then with the emergence of the scientific industrial era and the, the associated consciousness, a capacity for a third person awareness 
developed. Mm. So you and I could connect deeply and together we could sense the needs of a third person and develop a marketing mm. plan to sell them something, you see, because we could figure out exactly how they were feeling, what they really needed or what we, we could make them think they needed. It's really important, this stuff, folks. This is a really important little figure in this, uh, in this, uh, in this search and research that we do. It is. I'm saying, uh, and so, take note. And uh, I'm, I'm drawing here uh, not only on the work of Claire Grace, but also mm. on Ken Wilber's writings. Yes. Uh, he's particularly written about this first, second, third, fourth person, etc. awareness that develops as we go through these layers. So in the modern scientific industry, we had that awareness of the, of the, the third person, the other, who wasn't in our presence. Uh, and then with the emergence of uh, layer six, which at a global scale is really just firing up now and beginning to, to uh, I guess, disturb the comfort of the modern scientific... Yes, you wouldn't say that uh, it's taking power because in some ways it would, uh, would not like to feel that they're taking powers so, no but they're disrupting no. the current power structures absolutely and it's yeah. you know it's a natural evolutionary process because the world has become so complex that the mm. problems which are arising are too complex for the scientific industrial mind mm. to, to uh, resolve hence some of the problems with our science yeah. our, our traditional science mm. so layer six uh, we're expanding further we're expanding our sensory capacity our, our capacity to tap into the experience of a, another person uh, beyond the third person to uh, what Emma Wilbur calls a, a fourth person awareness and mm. I must admit it starts to do my head in a little bit <laughs> when we sort of get here and, and go beyond it but uh, in simple terms what we mean by that is you and I being first and second person in each other's presence could sense what a third person who may not be here mm. might be sensing about another person or group of people okay mm. so you can see the the sort of radius of our sensory awareness is mm. expanding and how that's playing out practically is that when people are transitioning into and going through this sixth layer of consciousness they'll sometimes feel like they have the sorrows of the entire world on their shoulders this is a very yes. commonly reported I, experience i used to call it universal sadness in my my earlier time deeper in that layer i think yeah uh, but yes really such a strong feeling that can be and i, I know lots of people identify with exactly that it's yes deep and, I, sadness. and i must say that i, I went through it myself yeah. at one point where i found myself uh, feeling really strong emotions mm. you know at a point of, of tearing mm. up but there was nothing going on in my immediate life which mm. i could connect just that sensing to. something telepathically you know, this, in, the, in the zeitgeist yeah some capacity of awareness of of other people and what they were going through mm. emerged and so that's just one indicator of uh, the sensory awareness that might be emerging with this layer mm. six and i don't think anybody has done a really good job of mapping it accurately mm. yet i mean if somebody's aware of a good map that someone's come up with please let us know uh, so we're, at least in the circles that we're moving, we're still at the point of just sharing with each other about, mm. oh, I, I felt this and I sensed yes. that, and yes. starting to piece together you know, a, a viable story around that. And of course, uh, particularly in this region, but all around the world, the whole uh, movement towards sitting in circle of one type or other, doing personal psychological work within a group, within a, a sort of new tribe, in inverted commas, so to speak, and that whole reson resonance there. Um, is, is really how we are, I think, practicing exactly that, that we can sit in a circle of 5, 10, 20, 50 people, uh, not necessarily in a circle, but actually to feel each other's uh, with some sort of degree of empathy. It's like we're practicing 
emp- uh, deeper empathy, I think, yes. and being able to express ourselves and our feelings, as you're saying. And it's it's a bit of a talk fest, but it is a sort of place that we have to kind of have to go to open up to yeah, some degree. Not always a talk fest, though. I mean, there yeah. are you know there are practices that have been around, and oh, yeah. they they do align with the emergence of this six layer and you know, times mm. when it's it's bubbled up like the '60s and '70s and mm. things where people will go and sit in the presence of. Mm. Uh, a spiritual leader, yes, and there will be nothing that, spoken, yeah. but and there will be uh, a widely reported sense of some kind of direct mm-hmm. transmission happening. Yeah, mm. a fly landing on your third eye, for example, yeah, sitting in right. satsang. That's, that's right. Morning, Russell. Hello, if you, Russell. If you're, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of ours, Russell, wrote yeah. a very funny poem about any a true experience he had. Yeah, in an ashram in India years and years and years ago, with a guru, and the fly flew from the the guru's third eye directly to Russell's. Zoom. Uh, that that's not to and, be discounted. The, that's for sure. And he was transformed. And he was transformed. Yes. Those synchronicities, uh, those those moments, and you all know them. They're kind of some of the key. We'll obviously come to a bit more of that shortly. And, and he felt a buzz. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so we're not to be a fly on the wall on that one. What we're starting to map here is uh, further development uh, development of the emotional body, uh, yeah. the the subtle energy layer around the body, uh, and this capacity, as it's often described to stand in someone else's shoes and mm. and I, I heard uh, someone told me that the North American Indian version of that was was called the wisdom of the moccasins wisdom of the moccasins I'm not sure if that's mm. true but somebody out there might know that's a nice that's phrase and it's very poetic it's it sounds good slip into someone else's moccasins yeah and see exactly how so um, if you're listening this morning it'd be really interesting if you'd like to text in mm. your experience what is your experience of some apparent extrasensory perception mm that uh, is happening for you. Yeah, exactly. So again, 04373411119. And it's interesting, we're talking about this today because we didn't know we were talking about this until sometime late, later uh, yesterday, sometime yesterday, I can't remember when it was. And, uh, and I, I was out last night for a little while and I, and I was talking to someone who had had, uh, unusually for her, a whole raft of, of dream experiences, of, of precognitive, pre- premonitionary, if that's a word, uh, a, a premonition dream, a number of them in a row, which was unusual. And what does that mean? And I sort of was talking to her a little bit about uh, evolution, as we're talking about here, that that may be an indicator of an opening of an evolution in, in you and in us, and to take really good note of that and to and to not discount it and not to go by the conventional wisdom these things are whatever they are you know that they don't they don't exist but to really actually treat it as a sort of jewel that's arrived on your in your consciousness so to speak somehow yeah exactly and with the emergence of this kind of awareness uh, i mean it's something that's been around for a long time and it, to, to really diagnose it or, or understand it from a developmental psychology point of view, we've got to expand the basic uh, model that we describe a little bit to include what Ken Wilber calls lines of development. So mm. uh, it's usually we generalize on this show when we talk about somebody uh, operating through one of the layers of consciousness. That's a, a generalization, and we do that just for simplicity's sake. But it, once you uh, start to talk in more detail, you need to drill down a little bit and just understand that there are different lines or strands to our our personality. So the, the nature of our being has different lines and strands to it. And you could see those, for example, as different intelligences, like, for example, uh, an interpersonal yes. intelligence or an intrapersonal intelligence. Mm. Uh, and those lines can develop at different rates. So somebody can be developed up to and including, for example, layer five when it comes to their logical, rational intelligence, which is often called IQ, but their emotional intelligence line of development might be at a different place. 
and the classic scenario that often has come up um, I think I've just I just lost my microphone for a minute now, but it's mm. back. Uh, the, the classic scenario that uh, often has come up in the corporate world is this super intelligent CEO, uh, you know, who his IQ is off the scale, and yet he treats everybody very, very poorly. Yeah. And so his his interpersonal intelligence, uh, you might call it his emotional intelligence, is not developed as which highly. Is, which has been considered for a long time as an asset often, that capacity to be that intellectually rigorous and direct and, and decision-making and uh, and yet to treat people you know, lesser than to not actually acknowledge people's feelings seems to have been a, a mode for a while. I, mean, I think that's certainly changed a fair bit. Yeah, it's also been a great paradox for many people yeah. who, who sort so of true. You know, say, I just don't understand this. This guy is so smart and yet he doesn't see that he's actually not treating people yeah. very well. And the, the uh, one of the the concepts for understanding that is this one that I'm explaining of the different lines of intelligence. So different aspects of your personality might develop faster than others. You know, you might have particular talents in, in some particular area. And, and the extreme case of that is the savant, for example, who mm. is just off the scale in one particular area, whether it be music or art or something like that. And then perhaps um, below the average in other areas of, um, of their personality. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Um, Extrasensory perception has been on the radar of governments for a while, and there was, of course, famously a, uh, a remote viewing program run by both the Russian and the United States governments. Uh, I'm not too sure exactly when that started, but uh, yeah, Czechoslovakia in particular, in the former Soviet Union, was the place where that was centered. I think uh, from from because I looked at this years and years ago. I think it was probably even po pretty well post-war. But certainly by the 70s, I think those, those yeah. sort of programs were well in place. Yeah. And I think the Americans sort of followed suit, seeing what the Soviet Union was That's doing. That's right. I think the, yeah. the uh, Soviet Union got onto it first, and the Americans mm. were playing catch-up. And mm. uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Harold Putoff uh, in Texas a few years back, and he was heading up the uh, CIA's remote viewing program back in the day. And what a lovely man he was. You know, he, was a, he had shiny eyes and was clearly an enlightened soul. And uh, I visited his, his uh, laboratory in Austin, Texas, where he was uh, at the time researching alternative ways of uh, propelling things through space, you know, mm. using gravitational fields and all, all that kind of different stuff. And he had had amazing paintings on his world uh, on his wall from uh, people like Ingo Swan, who was one of the famous remote viewers in that program, mm. and uh, you know, little uh, things about the Emerald Tablet and all sorts of mystical stuff. Very interesting fellow. Uh, and um, so, you know, isn't it isn't it unusual and and uh, Amazing that the richness of life, where you can have these uh, superpowers, um, delving into the esoteric world and, and these extrasensory mm. um, capacities, and and within those programs, you know, you'll find the most remarkable people who who are not what you might expect them to be. Uh, Indeed, it's, it's a rich world. Someone's really. written in a couple of uh, things here. Hi guys, I was recently at a pub raffle when I had a sudden overwhelming certainty that I would win if I purchased the ticket. I did, and I won. There you go. Well done. Exactly. Next time you get one of those, let me know. Um, and uh, another one, someone's written in, sensing the dysfunctionality of feel-good, heartfelt decision-making of the predominantly 5-6 community, seeing the delusion and short-term efficacy of the solutions, waiting for it all to end in tears. Great show, always timely. 
Well, that's an interesting uh, microcosm of the macrocosm right there. Yes, it is. Uh, and, and really, this is uh, a large part of what we're talking about on this show is making sense of the future and understanding the behavioral patterns that are playing out at the moment and the long-term implications of those. Very uh, good. So Thank for you that. for that. Yeah, really, for really that great. Contribution. So uh, right now, the, um, the US intelligence community has just announced uh, what's essentially a competition, really. Um, the uh, Intelligence Agency for Research, uh, which is the short, uh, the acronym for this is IARPA. People might be familiar with DARPA, which I think looks at materials research, and there's an intelligence version of that called IARPA. Yes. Um, the research arm for the US Director of National Intelligence is offering $250,000 in prize money in a contest to forecast geopolitical events mm. such as elections, disease outbreaks, and economic indicators. Yes, uh, fascinating. This this comes from a, a team of researchers originally based at the University of Pennsylvania a few years ago, four years ago, and wowed the U.S. intelligence community by producing a superior new way to forecast geopolitical events. They were called the super forecasters. And, uh, yeah, so that's what we're talking about here. So what's this about? This is <laughs> we. I think you should enter, Steve. Yeah, look, I don't – I'm not really uh, – I don't know if I've got the – the wherewithal to be a super forecaster, really, I think one of the most difficult things is forecasting the future, in my experience. Mm. Uh, it, it's interesting, and I guess, um, I mean, having studied Taoism for, for many, many years, I tend to sort of take a Taoist approach that there is an underlying pattern of change, uh, which is often called the Tao, um, which translates as the way or the, the, the path, yeah. and uh, we can tune into it. The pathless path, really. And, and, and so, you know, we can sense that flow of change uh, somehow, and then with the right cultivation of our personality and our being, we can synchronize with that and be in the right place at the right time. And what I've found over the years of, of Taoist practice is that when I'm in tune with that underlying pattern of change sometimes it looks like i can predict the future because i'll get led to somewhere where something's about to happen i'll be in the right place at the right time to go oh yeah or you know step up and provide the answer to something without any premeditation whatsoever but just by simply being in sync with what's emerging and you know i I end up being in the right place at the right time. And, so, uh, so that's a big key right there, which in terms of yeah. where we're hopefully, we think, evolving to is that capacity to enhance that ability that you're talking about that you, you receive sometimes. Yes, yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, it's like any personal development. Uh, if you give it time and, and pay attention to it, then these things can be cultivated and, and they can be grown as capacities. So it seems, and of course, some people have a natural ability. You know, they, they seem to be born into this life with just a natural uh, capacity to do certain things. And uh, in my time, I've also come across people who are quite amazing in terms of their ability to do things like read tarot cards and you know tell you who you are and what your future is. And yet, you look at other aspects of their life and they're in disarray. You know, so this is an example of that lines of development thing where somebody's got like an extreme capacity in one particular area, but they can't manage their money or you know, keep their house clean or whatever it might be. Can you relate, folks? Hey. Okay. A couple of other texts quickly, if I'm uh, just yeah. jumping inside and interrupted there. Um, hey, Conrad. Conrad, uh, one of our listeners in Melbourne. Hey, Conrad. Uh, he had a sense of telepathic uh, connection trying to kick in with Steve late, <gasps> late Saturday night. 
that sounds outrageous. <laughs> someone else has written in. That's true. Yes. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Conrad. Yeah, thanks, Conrad. And um, someone else has written in, have you guys heard of cognitive bias? Well, of course, and that is a, a, a good um, a good thing to sort of bring attention to in some ways too. Yeah, there, there are many, many different biases. Mm. Um, I saw a really good uh, diagram once of all the different biases in science. It was quite oh, comprehensive. I, oh, my God. I, I probably got it uh, saved away somewhere, but there were too many to remember. Oh, I love it. Too many to remember. I think it was a bias bias. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. bias towards bias. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, Conrad, great to have you listening, mate, and uh, contributing. And Conrad and I keep in touch from time to time, and we are, um, we're sharing personal experiences around unusual sensations in the body, which are a little bit hard to describe, but mm. it, it kind of feels like um, an, a, some kind of electromagnetic uh, energy that flickers through the body and I sometimes liken it to a fluorotube where the starter in the fluorotube is failing and so it just flicks on and off like it shoots a, you know, a, a bit of electricity through the tube and then it dies yeah. out again and uh, I've, I've been uh, feeling it you know, sporadically for, for some years and uh, initially when I started to feel it I thought um, it was something to do with me, uh, you know, getting ill or something like that. But after a while, I realised no, I actually wasn't getting ill. It was just some strange thing, and we're still not really sure what it is. Uh, and so, um, Conrad's keeping an eye on uh, fluctuation of the Schumann resonance, which is the background uh, mm-hmm. frequency of the planet. Mm. Um, and another possibility is uh, inbound uh, cosmic radiation um, from beyond the planet. Um, and you know it could be something else that we haven't thought of yet so um, and I encourage others to do this you know is to start voicing these things because there's probably a lot of people out there who are having unusual extrasensory experiences that they can't really explain and it's a really good time to be sharing that with uh, with trusted friends and also to communicate and share and uh, you know for example um, recently both Conrad and I, Conrad's in Melbourne and I'm in, in uh, the Byron Shire. Uh, ha- Are you sure? I think so, most, mostly. Some of the, you weren't too sure about that just then. Scattered around. <laughs> um, we had a, a night just recently where uh, both of us felt some energetic disturbance and we looked at the Schumann resonance and, and actually the Schumann resonance was off the scale. There was a, a big, big spike where it went way beyond its average frequency on that evening so these are the things that we're pushing into as humans you know this new way of being human is emerging within us and uh it's it's kind of like i guess um changes in the body you know we're equating that to like getting a new car which is a, a fantastic you know extra new car which has got new technology and you don't quite know how to use it and so you get in there and try and figure out how things work without having a manual mm. to look up and and Really, as we emerge into this new paradigm and subsequent paradigms, uh, we need to work together to put together user manuals to you know help explain how, what are these things that we're feeling and and what are these new capacities that are emerging and can we rely on them and how can we develop them further and make them more reliable and you know how are they useful in everyday mm. life? And of course, uh, in tradition, in uh, our tradition, in sort of Western right, Celtic tradition, they're called the Clares. C-L-A-I-R-S, interested in clairs, and the clairs being clairvoyance and clairaudience and clairsentience. I mean, what you're talking about, about feeling, yes. uh, clear seeing, clear yeah. feeling in some way. Yeah. Uh, for example, my my particular thing I've, I've, I have uh, for years and years and started way back in a certain instance, I won't go into the details of it now, 
uh, is to get to see blue lights uh, flashing at t- at times, and it happens now all the time. Just one a, a, a kind of recognition or a resonance somewhere in my conscious, which is a bigger a bigger picture thing, and I'll see a, a flashing blue light somewhere. In right, my, and yeah. it's an external thing. Yeah. But I know now that some sort of affirmation that what I've touched on is accurate and true and, and real for me in that moment. Does this happen like immediately for before a roadside breath test? Or? I haven't even had a roadside breath <laughs> test for a long because they don't they don't see me most of the time. Um, I think. Very interesting blue lights. Blue lights, and uh, yeah. and of course uh, a lot of people report when they're meditating with eyes closed, mm. seeing a blue or purple flame mm. is, is quite a common thing. Is it? Mm. Would you equate it to that kind of thing? Or I wouldn't. No, no. I mean it's it's more like a. I mean the, the the initial time it happened was in about the late. Uh, 80s when I moved up here my my first child original child was in a bit of trouble down in Adelaide Uh, her mother rang me and said you you should come down here and I did I went straight down there Mm. and we had this amazing connection her mum and I in the night and I I connected with her and she'd been through a very difficult time as a teenager at that time wonderful person now headmistress of a school etc but at that time quite a strong moment but something in the energy of me going down there and kind of helping to 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 just offer me myself in that situation at that time yeah and i went to bed in their house that night my room because i stayed with with them with her and her other other partner who's a good friend and they have other kids and stuff stayed in the in in the room there and i opened this book that i had which was actually a channeled book from uh, from the ascended master known as hilarion one of the Ascended Masters, which I'd been reading at the time, I opened the, the book uh, after this incredibly heart-opening experience with with uh, the mother of my my daughter, and all these blue lights came zooming out of wow. the thing. It was incredible. It was, it was such a powerful certainty in me that this was an affirmation that my my coming down there, how I dealt with it myself, was in line. I suppose was in. This, was is, in, an, this is an open-eyed sensation. This is an open-eyed sensation. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. and so I've had that same thing now, but not this flourish of them in the same way. But occasionally, it's you know they just sort of appear. But it's clear when they appear that mm. I'm on some clear path, some moment where I get something, I Very see something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through an interesting uh, time when I was flying the rescue helicopter up in Mackay uh, for five years, and that is a, a very random kind of work. You know, you never know when you go to work whether you're going to be doing anything at all or whether you might have a busy day and, and what it is you might be responding to, uh, you know, various accidents and incidents. Mm. And uh, and so at the time, I also uh, was married to a clairvoyant and so I, I was very accustomed with the, you know, sort of esoteric and the idea of being able to sense things that most people might write off as being unsensible or <laughs> non nonsensible, um, and so I I went through a process of as really a way of developing my intuition of trying to tap in on the way to work as I was uh, mm. riding to work on my motorbike through the beautiful warm tropical air up there at the time, whether I would be called to do a rescue that day. And so, and I would, I would see this in my mind's eye mm. as like a window of opportunity, mm. and I would, I would look to see whether the window of opportunity was open or closed. Uh, and I actually got pretty damn good at it over time. And the the roster that we were on involved going to the airport and living at the airport for twenty four hours. So we had a a base with a, a kitchen and a bedroom and everything. And I would just go and basically live at the airport for 24 hours, eat, sleep, just do what you normally do. And uh, then if a job came up, I would jump in the machine, you know, with the, the paramedics and we'd go and do a job. And I also started to hone it down to sense whether I was going to get a job in the middle of the night or not, because sometimes oh, we'd, yeah. we'd get called at like 2 a.m. and have to go flying into a very black sky. Mm. 
uh, and you need to be quite alert, you know. And of course, the the pressure was on to get airborne as quickly as possible. So I might get a phone call, and then need to be, you know, I, I could be in the air within twenty minutes. So I'd have to wake up, understand what it was that I was going to, what I was going to find at the other end, um, do all my flight planning, you know, and look at the terrain and how how was I going to land if there were no lights in the area. And we had, I did have one of those massive big night suns, you know, mm. which would, mm. which is very very useful. But I'd also have to plan, okay, how how am I going to safely descend in this area? Um, you know, am I going to have enough visual cues and those sorts of things? Yeah. I'd have to work all that out then, you know, meet the crew, get in the machine and, and blast off and be in the air. And, and uh, once you get in the air, uh, in the helicopters that I was flying, there was no autopilot. So you basically had to keep your hands on the controls all the time. So you, you couldn't really do much in the way of planning in the air. And uh, and so what I started to do was to, to use this, um, develop, you develop this capacity of sensing, is there something happening or not and feel into is it going to be an evening job and if it was I would have a sleep in the afternoon yeah. to, to make sure that I was well rested before I went flying in the evening and, and again I got pretty good at it yeah. over time actually. and you can of course this is just like a muscle you can actually increase the, the viability the strength of this particular muscle before we take a quick break a, yeah. a couple other um Comments in. I want to come back to the cognitive bias just to, to acknowledge that we weren't dissing that. Of course, there is cognitive bias. I, I, my interpretation of that today, right now, is this little phrase I've always used for years and years, and that is everybody's got beliefs, right? So have your beliefs, yeah. but don't believe in them. Because yeah. once you believe in them too strongly, they become fundamental, ideological, and they become stuck in that sort of bias. You need to, we need to, need. Uh, it's useful to stay as open as possible to, uh, to input. Uh, someone else has said, strong intuition tells me uh, the blind introduction of 5G is going to make nuclear radiation and fluoride seem like health supplements. Yes, well, 5G, we won't talk about today. I'm going to be doing some stuff on this on my other show, North Coast Positive, on Friday. It is uh, obviously a very big issue for a lot of people out there in the world. The, there's a current sort of, it's in the zeitgeist and it's resonating around. So we'll come back to that. Um, someone else has written the Schumann Resonance data for our information. You can open it in Google Chrome. There's a, uh, it's a Russian website here. It's given yeah. a website. We can't actually open it on this computer, so I can't see that right now. Yeah, no, I, but you probably know that one. I do know that one. It's a, it's a Russian website, and I can, we can tweet it. slash sosrff.tsu.ru. It seems to, that Russian website seems to be the only. Uh, source of live human resonance data that, that's uh, available on the internet at the moment. Okay. Yeah. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. 11.47 on Future Sense coming up to oh, 10.47, sorry I'm ahead of myself, coming up to 11 o'clock and pregnancy, birth and beyond. Thanks for your texts and uh, your tune here to Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans. Good morning, Nick and Steve, says the last texter. Lovely listening to you both this morning. A couple of days ago, I avoided a car accident because I trusted my intuition, instincts, and moved my car out of harm's way moments before I would have been hit by another car. Beautiful. There was also a sense of slow motion in that moment. That's really key, that, that yes. sort of bending of time that occurs in these kind of uh, crisis situations. Yeah, often, often the case. Mm. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Very cool. Yeah, so the last few minutes we're talking uh, in this period about ESP, telepathy, uh, the, the growth of intuition and what that may be mean in terms of evolutionary impulse going on on the planet. Um, people like Rupert Sheldrake have been wonderful in this area for many years. Most of you would be familiar with uh, Mr. Sheldrake, uh, English scientist, alternative scientist, but well-respected at the same time, who originally came up with an idea called the morphic resonance. But uh, he's also been involved in various other... Um, um, projects, including the Parrot Warwick Project for research on unexplained human and animal abilities. 
So there's lots of this work, and this is at Trinity College in Cambridge. It's not some sort of, uh, you know, dicky place down the road, so to speak. So, yeah, there's so much research going on here because what does it mean? I mean, how are we going to make use of this? What does it show yeah, us about where a, we're going? He's a wonderful progressive scientist, Richard Sheldrake. I think if we look at this uh, from the big picture point of view, what we're seeing is that out of the modern scientific industrial era, era which has been absolutely rationally driven and extremely materialistic, we are we're moving through layer six, which is taking us back inside to being a, a feminine, communally oriented uh, system of consciousness. It's it's about uh, feminine aspects like looking inside and being open to receive. And so it's drawing us into the use of intuition. And at the same time, we're being overwhelmed with rational information from Google and other technologies. So we are losing the capacity to sort through data like we used to during the scientific and industrial era. Um, you know, once upon a time, if you were a scientist, you would collect all the data, look through it all, you know, and, and figure out what you wanted to, to figure out. But now there's so much data, you just can't do that. And so we have to find other ways of guiding mm. ourselves and a different compass. Mm. And that compass is taking us towards transrational uh, ways of operating in the second tier of consciousness. Mm. And so uh, layer six is preparing us for that. Layer six is our, our platform we jump off. And layer six is opening us up to the possibility of using intuition and helping us uh, learn what intuition is. Talk, you know, it's, it's guiding us to talk to each other, to share our experiences, what we're, is what, you know, what we're urging today. Uh, and to learn from each other that, okay, there are other senses that we can tap into mm. here which are not about rational analysis. But it's tricky too, isn't it, because it's such a thing we have talked about it before, and that's called the pre-trans fallacy, which is a concept I think brought in by Ken Wilber in his work on spiral dynamics based on Claire W. Graves' work. That's right, and, and that is a consequence of this crossing over from the dominance of the rational mind into the transrational space. Mm. And so we have to slowly wean ourselves off relying on this rational materialist data and taking into account our emotions and our other ex extrasensory uh, capacities and using those for decision making. And in the process of crossing over, we have to learn to discern within ourselves the difference between signals that are driven by fear, for example, uh, or superstition mm -hmm. and signals that are actually coming from a truer kind of intuition or what mm -hmm. I'd like to call a quantum consciousness yeah. where we're actually yeah. tapping into the quantum field and we're pulling information directly out of that without any rational process. Mm -hmm. And it's a tricky space and typically everybody gets confused as they're navigating through this change process because they're they're trying to wean themselves off the, the rational-minded stuff. They're trying to tap into their emotions and their deeper intuition. And then they have to discern between, okay, is this actually something I'm, I'm thinking about because of my fears or is it actually mm. you know, a genuine, intuitively uh, driven mm. signal that I'm, that's arriving? Mm. And, and that's a learning process. You know, it's like learning anything. You have to practice it. You have mm. to try it out, see if it works. And then eventually you'll get to the point where you can discern between, okay, no, that's actually just fear coming up. It's not a 
full intuition. Yeah. And of course, this translates massively to the climate discussion at the moment, yeah. massively, yeah. because so much is fear-driven in that space right now. And just to take a, a slight sideways here, there's a piece in the conversation uh, in the last couple of days, five aspects of Pentecostalism that shed light on Scott Morrison's policies and politics. And uh, I think it's a space we're going to be seeing more of. But that, that notion that God is speaking to me, that I speak in tongues, that I, the yeah. first thing that Morrison said when he uh, when he accepted that he'd won the election was, I believe in miracles. And it mentions this in here, and these notions that uh, these capacities through the, through Pentecostal Christianity actually are sort of intuitive, connected capacities to the to the greater being, so to speak, to God, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And that's an that's a. Uh, that's a muddy space too, because perhaps there is a real connection there because of their of that strong belief, faith, uh, or, or perhaps it's an illusion, but hard to tell. Yeah, uh, you know, at some level, um, despite the fact that we're developing finer and and deeper capacities with the, the emergence of layer six and beyond, at some level, right through humanity's history, we've had the capacity, of course, to tap into other dimensions, you know, in, in various ways. And of course, there are many, many yeah. uh, reliable records of that happening in in very, very old societies. And, and just to complicate that space, we have the fact that our history is incomplete and you know, there's emerging evidence increasingly uh, of what we might call superior civilizations in some ways that existed before our recorded history. So it's it's a you know it's a little it's not a clear linear trajectory. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. But uh, the what I was going to say was that depending on which layer of consciousness is our dominant paradigm, our worldview, yeah. you know, we put on those glasses and we see everything through that. So if we're going through, for example, layer four, which is where all of these traditional religions emerged, yeah. we put on our glasses and then we get a message from you know through inter interdimensional channels. Then of course it's going to be from God. Uh, and then, you know, if we're in the layer five space, then it'll be from an evangelical or Pentecostal God. Some sort of TV guru or something like yeah, that. So yeah, so it's a matter of understanding that, that human consciousness takes us through these layers, and each layer is like a window or a set of glasses that we put on to interpret the yes. world, and it gets flavored by yeah. the themes. Really important to see it that way. Um, the original configuration, which comes from the times of Claire W. Graves' work, was these stages of growth, this sort of hierarchical stage. Well, we're not talking about that here. We're talking about you, we, we see through, as Steve says, we see through these windows of value systems onto anything. You project on anything it's an incredibly valuable way of seeing it nearly out of time you did want to mention uh, this uh, israeli uh, piece this israeli study a neuroscientist who has a strong belief in precognition anything we can say about that in 30 seconds or so <laughs> yeah uh cognitive neuro neuroscientist author futurist and grandmother julia mossbridge had a dream and mm. in the dream uh her grandmother said to us something about reading uh, a book from right to left instead of left or right and uh, her grandmother was Jewish of course and eventually she figured out there was a, it was a reference to reading mm. Hebrew and then that uh, had a significant impact on a particular occurrence in her life because it, it just you know there was a one of those moments where that little snippet of information which had come through a dream came together and she managed to decipher something in a way that she wouldn't have otherwise you know and it was was very mm. synchronistic mm. Yes. and so that led her to take an interest in uh, looking at these esoteric topics uh, as a scientist though and uh, now she's uh, a fellow at the Institute for Noetic Sciences which of course is the organization that was started by Edgar Mitchell the American astronaut, astronaut yes. who did the psychic experiments on his way back from the moon. He definitely had a, an experience out there, an overview effect, that's for sure. Yeah, so uh, uh, this lady, uh, just very briefly, uh, Dr. Julia Mossbridge, 
has written a book called The Premonition Code, The Science of Precognition. Uh, so if you're interested in looking at that from a scientific angle, that might be a good book to explore. And we will post all of these links uh, to our Twitter feed, which is at Future, Future Sense Show. And as I said earlier, futuresense.it, the website, which you can, uh, as a portal to the, the podcast. We're going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Nick. Great pleasure. We'll be back next week, Monday morning, 9 to 11. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia, at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.